Hey listeners, Lex on the Decks here. Before you get stuck into this episode of Hot Girls, I wanted to let you know about something else you may be interested in. Though Hot Girls in its podcast format isn't releasing new episodes any longer, if you head over to my Substack, which is lexonthedecks.substack.com, you'll find more interviews and insight on gender minority artists and how to overcome any barriers to entry. You'll also get the opportunity to sign up to my weekly newsletter, Five Good Things. This is an email letter which will land in your inbox on Fridays, sharing five of my favourite cultural or creative discoveries of the week. You'll find all that on lexonthedex.substack.com. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Hot Girls. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Hot Girls with me, Lex on the Decks. This week, I am joined by a fellow podcaster and a fellow DJ. Farah Nanji, aka Ninja, who got into electronic music kind of as an escapism. We talk about how Fabric was her entry point, which I was super jealous of because my entry point to clubs was not that cool. We talk a fair bit about identity and how music and motorsport, her other great passion, has helped shape her identity. So I really hope you enjoy and find this interesting. Also worth noting that Farah has done a TED talk, the holy grail of speeches. So we also talk a little bit about how she landed that. That's top gig. If you enjoy this episode, please do give it a like or subscribe or even better, share with a friend. Without further ado, Ninja on the Hot Girls podcast. Ladies. Listen up. You're listening to Hot Girls with Lex on the deck. We in the mix. It's fire. We all fire. From London for the world. Let's go in. I grew up in London. I was actually named after Charlie's Angel, um, Farrah Fawcett. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I think my mum, she didn't realise just how much she was going to be signing up for then with that naming decision, because I basically just went out, became this huge adrenaline junkie. Um, I love risk. I, you know, I love crazy things. So I guess for me, I was, you know, I was quite a tomboy as well growing up. I was in a really pressurised school as well. Um, and I had quite a difficult experience with the education system. Um, from quite a young age that basically led me to discovering what I'm passionate about in life because um, I was bullied as well as a child and music was like became a huge part of my escape and healing process particularly like playing the Spanish guitar um, you know in school which I now kind of can see very much that that inspires a lot of my music with the like balearic 
kind of Ibiza vibes and things. Mm. I also kind of found, you know, this other sort of passion that I'm really focused a lot of my life around today, which is motorsport, just kind of experiencing a totally other dimension of taking out some of my frustrations. And, but more importantly, just like, just like having a competitive mind in a different way, because the school was very competitive, but this was a different type of, you know, ball game altogether. And mm. obviously a lot about risk and all that as well. Um, and somewhere along the way, about the age of 15, I got diagnosed with this learning difficulty, dyspraxia, which almost juxtaposes what I do today because dyspraxia is all about how children or, or humans have a delay in their how they send motor coordination signals to the rest of their bodies. So it's sort of like people when they hear that, like, how can you sort of like, you know, do to be in two industries that are so inherent with coordination? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a huge believer in finding your own ways to operate. And the more you do, the you can only get better, like you can't get worse. And if you know that you're passionate about it, then there's nothing that should stop you. And maybe maybe the dream has to shift a little bit to what it, maybe you thought it would be, but that's fine as well. So, mm. so yeah, that was kind of my childhood, really. A lot of figuring all of that out and discovering dance music along the way, which, you know, growing up in London, obviously really lucky because um, we obviously have a phenomenal music scene and I was kind of sneaking into clubs. Um, from... <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to talk about that and talk about how you came to DJing, but just first in terms of both Spanish guitar and also when mm. you got drawn into racing, how old were you when you started those things? So I think um, guitar was around the age of seven, so ah, really young. Super young. Really young, yeah. Um, um, and karting was a bit later, maybe around 12, just before I became a teenager. Because mm-hmm. I went to quite a quite competitive, intense school as well. And I think mm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a funny environment, isn't it? Because in theory, you should thrive because there's this certain level of expectation, but it can have the opposite effect where it just makes you feel like you're never going to be good enough. What do you think were the hardest like ages for you personally when you were there? Yeah, I think it really was like becoming a teenager. I think, you know, mm. there's still a bit more of an innocence pre that, you know, um, but I think just the teen, because then the pressure really is about, well, now everything is about GCSEs and, you know, it's all like, uh, you know, process. Um, so I, I think that was, yeah, definitely some of the harder ones. Before that, it was just, I just felt like I wasn't good at things, but there wasn't any consequence in a, in a way, like, you know, your yeah. whole life isn't going to be destroyed because you didn't pass an exam or something yeah um, <laughs> which it did feel like when when exams suddenly came in didn't it it suddenly felt like if you fail at this you're not going to be able to go on to the next stage of your life <laughs> like yeah. your life will just stop <laughs> I don't know so then was it was it your early experiences going clubbing that drew you to um DJ culture yeah so in a way I've been sort of researching it in a way like just before I just discovered it through the internet like I mean I was collecting a lot of CDs like I remember I was like at the time a member of Fabric First it was like 20 pounds a year or something and you'd just get all these like CDs amazing CDs that would just come to your house because I couldn't obviously go to the club at that age I, I also I was, love like, it's such a because you're from London Fabric was like your early club experiences my early yeah. club experiences were like the cheesiest kind of one room <laughs> nightclubs <laughs> with like carpeted floors <laughs> yeah so I, I did manage that was the first club I, I basically ended up kind of going in, into and uh, it just changed my whole life because like coming from that school and thinking that everything was around these four walls and then like seeing the power of a dance floor and like you know I'd been collecting all these CDs and music uh, for ages but then actually hearing on you know an incredible sound systems like unreal and also just seeing the people around me who are like totally free just moving around and just expressing themselves and like there wasn't any judgment and it was just so much about 
you know, the energy and the, the music. You know, I just really got drawn to the DJ booth because I knew that it wasn't just about like finding music. I, I, I really was wanted to share that and express that as well. And yeah, I, I guess I naturally pretty gravitated towards that point and then like my friends were became the DJs and then they let me hang out with them even though I was much younger but like they let me hang out with them because I think maybe like my music taste at the time was like you know kind of similar to theirs and I just really observed what they were doing for many years and also being a female as well at that time because like I remember I only had one friend who was a girl who was a DJ and it was like the holy grail of London she was like you know the one and I didn't want to like compete with her or like take that away or anything like that but then I realized quite later like that you know I have a lot to give you know music and I, I want to share that so yeah I, I really about three or four years later I, I went and took the plunge never looked back since <laughs> and what was step one were you a YouTube learner or did you take did you take actual lessons or was it your friends I think step one was really the observation um for many years like just being in that being allowed to come into their DJ booths and see how they were doing things. Some of the things that obviously, you know, you can't, you could no, no textbook can teach you is like how to read energy in a room and like navigate that as well, which is obviously a huge, you know, part of being a DJ. So that was step one. And then step two, I was like, you know, maybe because I took a gap year before uni and I thought, you know, I want to do this properly. Like, is there a school? And I, you know, found point blank, did DJ school there. But to be honest, really most of it came from then just putting myself in that environment and then doing it myself and learning and just doing that how did your or has your taste in music evolved like you very quickly were drawn to electronic music obviously but mm. have has your uh, has your taste changed over the years now there's a lot more creators um so you know in some ways some of the stuff i was listening to before now that there's just so much more of it i was really into like kind of tribal techno and now there's like you know so much of that and the burning man sort of music as well like the nomadic sort of vibes you know that back then i just remember having like 10 20 of those songs which was still quite a lot but now obviously it's like you know it's pretty pretty everywhere uh involvement though i think yeah it's just been as well like kind of the exposure more to the ibiza sound as well so like progressive and those kinds of things and i did used to be quite into hip-hop earlier on but then i think i just really lasered my focus into electronic music in that way mm. so tell me some of your highlights and lowlights of your career as a dj for sure so i think you know highlights is just the immense privilege to travel the world and to play the music and you know and i did it for five years like non-stop just toured every two weeks sometimes i'd be in four countries and at once and just to play those things that you know you re like really like are the benchmark of prestige for djs like played in pasha destino and ibiza got to dj in uh in a ski resort in uh, in in Val d'Isere, which was really cool. Um, so just you know, the highlights really was just having enough talent to be able to be brought out into those places and for people to believe in that. Because I, you know, still was quite up and coming. Still am. Like people take that risk and book you is, is quite a big thing. Also, I did this TED talk, so that was definitely a, high, a highlight. So I did a musical performance around that as well, which was quite cool. Um, but I think the low lights. I think when you're beginning, you, you it's just it's very pure. You just it's just about the music and there's and it should always be that but you don't necessarily realise the amount of politics that you're going to have to face and the fact some people will be jealous of your success and unfortunately you're going to have to make decisions about who you surround yourself with and really try and figure out the intentions of people and it's sad how much people idolise DJs and artists, like it's a bit weird you know um, and success you know brings a lot of those people who who want that from you as well and I think for me navigating a lot of that particularly at a young age was really quite a tough one to really like get to grips with how to kind of 
do that you know yeah yeah I hear that it comes up a lot in uh, conversations that I've had actually throughout hot girls is just the importance of having the right people around you because mm. there are so many people who may not be as, as trustworthy as you'd like them to be I personally don't think it's just a thing of the music industry I think it happens in any industry but I think because the music industry and creative industries it's kind of that intersection between passion and profession um, yeah. sometimes it can be harder to make sense of what your relationships are with people if they're sort mm. of kind of in that crossover place to people who are listening who are maybe DJs who are starting out who are interested do you have any guidance on how you sort of built up your I guess kind of global network in the early days when you were starting to make those connections in Ibiza or in different places mm. around the world it's a great question I think and particularly now obviously when those networks have been stripped away as they have been like on a on a, on a physical level back then that you know, LinkedIn wasn't anywhere near what it was today right so that that's a huge one um just trying to just really follow and in, interact and engage with tastemakers and change makers and and just sort of be on the radar and you know list, there's so much out there now with YouTube as well like all the keynote you can just go back to IMS and go on their channel and there's just so many things coming out when hopefully when we do get a chance to go back to like playing music in a live environment you know the residencies are a key part of it so if you can get the opportunity to get residencies it, it will it will be a huge thing because it's not like something's going to change tomorrow but you'll realize over time like it's like you know it's like a net you're just catching people in people are coming to hear you you've got a canvas to really show people what you're about and and really make the most of it and unfortunately you do have to kind of accept the fact that like just playing music isn't good enough like you, you need to have those skills like to go out there to talk to engage to get to to buy people into you as a person and as a brand as an artist there'll be thousands of other people who can do it so you're competing against those people as well so you know you've, you've really got to do that yeah I think that's I think that's good advice and very true we live in a world today where people want to know everything about you mm. not just uh, the music so as a DJ and also someone who um, produces music do you have any thoughts, and you mentioned earlier that when you were kind of starting out, there was just one other girl. What's your perspective on why the gender gap is so big in electronic music? I think particularly with producers, I would say, I like there's, there seems to be more DJs and producers in, in my experience. God, it's such a tough one, isn't it? Like, what, why is it like that? I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's such a shame because it, there isn't any reason why there's no, there's nothing that differentiates us in terms of our ability or anything. I do think part of the production stuff is that you do need to have like a really good, pe good people around you because like you can make music, but then you need to know how to get into labels and all of that stuff. And maybe those networks weren't there before to support other people to get through to that place you know now obviously it's a bit different I just think culturally as well like it just wasn't as accepted and like I've heard ridiculous remarks from from people you know who who just just don't believe that de women can DJ which is just absolutely ridiculous see I think maybe it's just maybe there's just like the people themselves in the industry haven't been so welcoming as they should have been or now it's really about consciously going out after and helping other people like and being very aware of that and maybe that wasn't there in the past so I think those are my sort of initial thoughts onto it yeah so you've worked as a journalist in the industry as well who are some of the people you've met that have been really big inspirations to you so my first ever interview which was like totally in the deep end was with pete tong um, <laughs> <laughs> so that and was like you oh were interviewing God. him I was interviewing him, yeah, for a, a newspaper in Ibiza. Um, so that was like, my God, you know, that was once in a lifetime, right? That was a great starting point. <laughs> but then um, people that I've met and been quite inspired by, 
I've had a chance to interview some some really like interesting people apart from just artists but like you know artist wise like interviewed people like Third Son and Roger Sanchez and people like that more than just that people who actually build the scene up so whether it's like restaurateurs club club owners promoters I find that's really interesting because you know that's really the some of the the where the house is built right yeah um so that's been that's been that's been very interesting to yeah, to hear 100%. about and then kind of to segue on to talk a bit about your podcast, uh, Mission Makers, you've obviously spoken to a lot of people on that. Who are some of the standout interviews for you that, that you, because I think it's probably listeners will have their own, it's quite a personal thing, isn't it? What you take from different people and who mm. you find interesting. For you personally, who have been some of the interviews that you've learned a lot from or that you've really had some good nuggets from? So we're like, we, we structured it in a way where it's like 11 episodes in a season. So that way we can be really laser focused as well on like the, the guest and what we really want to sort of extract um, from that episode. But obviously we just launched earlier on this year, or by the time this comes out, probably it would have been 2020. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and obviously it's all a learning, you know, amazing learning process. But I think some of the ones that have really stood out, um, this guy Enzo, who's a, a mental performance coach for race car drivers, um, he was really, you know, he re- his story really struck a huge chord with me. Um, he grew up on a council estate and he had this dream of being a, a race car driver. And like racing cars is, is just one of the most expensive sports in the world. Um, you know, you need like close to half a million pounds by the time you're like 13, 14, you know, to succeed. And so it was a very intangible dream to him at the time and just how he sort of you know did it and and got there and then but then when he got there it was sort of like well hang on actually a lot of this is really ego driven because because everything centers around the driver and like Mm -hmm. and he won championships and he realized that actually his purpose came more like he would get much more fulfillment from helping others get to that point and becoming a coach um and also the mental things that you have to go through as a driver are really really intense so helping others to kind of navigate that and I think a lot of the things that he talked about had principles that would easily apply to anyone whether they're in cars into cars or not so his was definitely a standout one and then no biases but my sister was my season finale and the reason reason why um her episode really stood out to me um and why I really wanted her on the show is because our family business is in um education in Montessori and my sister's you know devoted her life to creating an amazing sanctuary for children um and she's just amazing at like really kind of creating this space where the foundations which is so crucial really really get harnessed and something that we talked about a lot was like you know our childhood is is it can be a tough it can be a tough one to go into and and we had both although we raised in the same house we both had very different experiences in our childhood like hers was actually quite peaceful and quite you know harmonious um because her schooling experience you know wasn't it wasn't too bad whereas me like you know it was a completely other side of the spectrum and so being comfortable and like understanding that you do need to go back to your childhood to really really like be authentic to who you are today um is a huge thing and so she talked a lot about you know those sort of dynamics and also it's the key things that she believes you know is, is essential for raising future generations and um challenging this crazy educational system which is obviously being so disrupted at the moment but the, the Montessori system is really all about how a child can sort of naturally come into consciousness um as early as possible and by observation really understand what their mind really is 
what their mission what their mission is because she says something like you know um nature has given us a secret mission like the nature has really given that to us and it's up to us to sort of find that but our parents and our guardians and the people around us to really unlock that secret mission that nature's given us so I thought that was very profound of her yeah um, I love that. to say that yeah did you learn a lot about her from doing the interview I always feel like when we have conversations about education, I'm always learning so much because she knows so much about all these things. Did I learn a bit more about her? Maybe a little bit, but I really, I do know her super well. So, <laughs> yeah. um, it was more the content, <laughs> it was more like the content of what she was talking about um, that really, uh, you know, just mind blown about. Yeah, I find that conversation around education fascinating because it's so obvious that mm. there's so many flaws in the system, but how you actually tackle it, I'm not sure. So it's for someone to, yeah, I'd find that fascinating. Someone who has really like committed themselves to understanding that. Yeah, well, it's also very interesting because the Montessori um, system was created 150 years ago, but the principles that apply are so relevant to today um, because the, the lady, Maria Montessori, is so forward thinking in her vision. And um, in fact, I even just came from the school today. We're showing around, uh, we're showing someone around and it's just amazing seeing like the way that everything's thought about because in a way you come into that space and it's not about like when we go to school, it's so, you know, it's very like, you know, it's all, it's all test driven. And, and it's, there's always like the, the point is that there's going to be a, you know, you've got to pass this at the age of five to get into the, the good feeder school, whatever. And for them, it's more about like, let's say even numbers, like before you even sort of count, you you feel the the numbers and, you know, there's like these specific cubes and things. And, and so children really like understand through all of their five senses, the concept of numbers or the concept of language, this concept of sound even today she was like you know sound in our alphabet we have 26 letters so we've got 26 different sounds that resonate with the letters and so before they even start understanding what the letters are they they understand you know different dynamic of it I was just wow I was like mind blown and um (laughs) (laughs) you know so and also because you know 90% of our brain it forms by the age of five so really what happens in your schooling experience up at that point and your and your familial obviously and surroundings as well is 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 just so paramount in, in who you become so yeah, I was just, you know, definitely um, very inspired by by that conversation. Yeah, you said, I can't remember your, your, exact, your exact wording, but you said she said something quite profound about understanding the sense of mission that's quite innate mm. to you, or it's part of your, you're born with it. Do you think you found yours? Do you have moments where you're like, this is my thing, I'm in my flow? Yeah, like 100%, like music, one without a shadow of doubt, you know, there's nothing that can give me um, as much joy as playing music into a room that has got a healing power of its own to people, whatever journey they're on. I know that, like, you know, I, I really like this is why I'm here to do that you know um and similar to motorsport um as well like motorsport's got a different mission it's more how can we inspire people to go out of their comfort zones and break their own personal limits through motorsport and you don't have to be into cars to go through that experience but it's that in a way the motorsport like formula one for example their their whole model is so performance driven and something I found like as a maybe as a comparative example which is so interesting but like you know, F1, F1 teams, they, everything is data-driven and every single point is analysed to the absolute T. And that's how change happens then because you just get 
you uncover your your the weaknesses even if um a, you know a driver wins a race they'll go back and dissect every angle every corner every line for example like a lot of the skills that happen in formula one are transferable to other industries and i remember reading about this thing where like um the the some some people in formula one were called into like um the nhs they created a huge wave of change because doctors just don't have a chance afterwards to reflect back on what may or may not have worked in a situation and instead they're just going to the next thing next thing next thing and they don't realize that actually it might be detrimental to that overall performance by taking that crucial pit stop because it's you know maybe the most strategic decision you make really so yeah I think you know mission wise I think you know definitely I'm very very clear that it's music and motorsport and those those are the things that you know I really want to to leave behind yeah with this year being such a sucky year for DJs and crowds Mm. and club culture how have you kept your optimism and energy up yeah, it's a great question. I mean, like the optimism, I mean, it's it's almost a disbelief that we're watching it happen like the way it is. It's like, wow, I mean, you know, but then at the same time, I, I, I've seen so many producers come online and give back, which I think is absolutely amazing. Like so many, so many amazing top level artists doing production schools, doing masterclasses. And that is, you know, amazing to have that time to learn from those types of people. Also, if you get trapped into a negative mindset, like this all just is so bad and like, you're never going to come out of it winning. So if you've got to come out of this somehow winning, like in your own way. And for the music industry, I think, you know, we we do know that it's just com- the whole, the business model around it is really unfair to artists. And it's, it's a very broken system. And so maybe this is the chance that we actually really needed to reset a lot of those things and question and, uh, and, and do that. So I hope that this will be a time where that, that change really gets implemented. How have I kept productive throughout all of it? I've obviously had the podcast, which has been like, you know, quite, quite a a lot of work. Um, (laughs) It is quite a lot of work. (laughs) It's a lot more than what people definitely might think. Definitely. Um, it took us eight months to produce, you know, before we entered into, before we l- l- launched season one, um, you know. So, and and we launched it mid-pandemic because it was born before lockdown, but then, you know, it all just sort of had to shift from that point onwards. So, yeah, podcast and making a lot of music, um, coming back to the studio, doing a lot of that, learning new things, and also just working on this motorsports uh, venture that I'm I'm currently doing at the moment as well. The process of making music, and I write a lot, and it's exactly the same with writing, it's quite an isolated task, a lot of it. So in that Mm. sense, it's like, well, I'm not missing out on anything being alone in the studio. So it's quite good to get some of those hours in. It's just hard when it's not broken up by anything fun. Yeah, no, I really miss playing. I mean, I think everyone does. It's just nuts. You know, like, as we were saying earlier, this probably will be the tamest New Year's Eve and... (laughs) You know, like... <laughs> yeah, I'll say we're recording this the night before New Year's Eve. Um, oh, yeah. And we're both just saying that our New Year's Eve are probably not going to be wild. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, they definitely won't be. We're complying by the rules. <laughs> yeah. Vary, you did a TED Talk a few years ago, which I think is probably... A TED Talk is one of those things that is probably on so many people's goal, to-do list, wish list. Was that the case for you? Had it been something you'd wanted to do for a while? It wasn't even on my radar. Like uh, I just didn't even think nope. I. I didn't even know, like think or know I was worthy of being a TED Talk. Like just like so many people afterwards, like oh my god, how do you do that? Is on my bucket list, and I'm like, wow. I mean, 
just never thought about it you know um it just happened very naturally very organically um I didn't apply to talk somebody approached me so yeah (laughs) did they approach you because they knew about how you'd handled your dyspraxia and how you you had that story and how did they know about that in the first place Mm, they said they didn't tell me they didn't give me any sort of like oh do it right make it about this theme or anything they were they'd been following me me and what I'd been doing in music and motorsport um and they and the theme that year about um Ted TEDx was about um explain explain explore excite something like that and they just I think they just were like you know there's yeah we'd love you basically just like, we'd love you to to do a talk would you want to do it and I was like I mean at first I thought it was a scam <laughs> I'm not gonna lie and I thought it was like how is this possible like what and then when I got introduced to the organizer and you know and then I saw his official email address I was like oh this is legit um <laughs> But um, yeah, no, then it was really like, you know, and then I was like, well, what do I, because they, they leave it very much up to you, but obviously with their guidance as well. So, you know, in a couple of weeks, let's, you know, touch base and, 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 and talk through what exactly the, the theme and the idea is. And it has to be one hook, like, yeah, it can't be more than a sentence. And then, and then build obviously from that. So for me, the idea was quite difficult. Obviously, everyone for everyone will be, you know, not not maybe not the easiest thing to think about because there's so much you want to share in a short space of time, and it has to correlate very much to a theme, and it can't necessarily be so much about yourself, but more about the idea. You know, that that has to be worth spreading. Mm. So for me, it was like the idea just came because like I was the whole lead up, the whole thing was just absolutely nuts because I had six weeks' notice to do the talk. Most people prepare for a TED talk minimum three to six months if not a year like you know it's 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 a very intense thing to do they get speech writers I mean there's all these things Mm. you know right um and I remember at the time like I was like how does one even go about writing writing a TED talk so I googled it at some point and I found like this crazy statistic that people spend one hour of uh, practicing one minute of speech so they just say that one minute back for an hour and that's crazy you know I, I just didn't even have the time to do that let alone write the whole thing <laughs> You're like you know, looking like, at how much physical time you have between now and when you do it it's like there's absolutely yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah so anyway so then I was like uh, and and the other part about all that was that I was in six countries in those six weeks so you know and I couldn't just put my work life on pause and just stop all that you know like it wasn't that's not gonna happen and I love what I do so it's like you know I mean I was in Ibiza all of that stuff DJing it was like May you know season opening all of that yeah and I just remember like every break I had in the DJ booth I was like I'm just going there and just quickly doing writing down this writing down that doing this doing that um it was just crazy but yeah the idea came um I was in Dubai and I was on the way back on the plane and I was really like trying to use that plane ride to like think you know about what to do because I wanted to touch upon particularly this message of bullying and all those things and I suppose in a way I never really when I got diagnosed with dyspraxia it just was a diagnosis and there was no nothing after that to say well what do you do now it was just like you'll get some extra time in exams and that's it and you use a laptop there was nothing else um so I never really thought about it you know then I was looking at this picture that I'd been I'd been on, on, a, on a on a track day in Dubai and I was in this Formula 3 car and just behind me there was this sort of like uh uh you know like the, the kind of sponsor adverts like behind the the car and it said like um you may have seen on these tagger watches it says um don't crack under pressure that's their, mm. their hashtag and I was like suddenly looking at that and it just hit me there. I was like, oh, wow. Like nobody really knows underneath my helmet that like I'm actually navigating a lot of complex things to be able to do these coordinational things. And it's the same for music because obviously I also want to tie in music as well. Like it, I don't want to just use one thing. And that's where the idea came from. And it was like, and then I started thinking about it. And, and I just remember at the time because like the educational psychologist at the time um, when I got diagnosed 
because my question to her was like, you know, well, here I am in this great school. Like, how do I even get in if I have this um, issue? And she said to me, like, you've just been basically finding your own ways and rewiring your brain to actually stay in this system of education. And then that was when, like, I just like sort of like really went deep in myself to think now reflect back many, many years later and think, well, how did I do that? And that's really where the concept of the talk came. And just to add more pressure, um, you know, it was in the Philharmonic Hall of Luxembourg. And obviously being a musician and I was like, I, I really want to integrate a musical element into all of this, you know, um, in terms of, an, you know, actually, you know, sort of playing music. So I asked the organisers and they were like, yeah, you can definitely play. Actually, this will be great. Nobody else is really doing any musical thing. And we're in this Philharmonic Hall. So this is crazy. We should definitely do it. But that means your speech has to be less than 18 minutes because you need to factor that in as well. And my speech already was 21 minutes. So I was like, oh my God, it's quite a lot to cut out, you know? And then and then on top of that, like kind of, kind of um, you know, composing a song, uh, getting it all ready to be played in a, in a hall of that manner and playing dance music in a Philharmonic hall is not the most ideal scenario because there's so much reverb in the room. Mm. So a lot of things can get lost when you play as well. So uh, even just the kick drum can can. Get Get really lost so yeah there's quite a lot around that as well that um sort of had to kind of do had to work out but it went well yeah it went well yeah luckily got <laughs> i got um, through it <laughs> do you have any favorite ted talk uh off the top of my head there's that guy who the one who wrote i can't remember his name but he was the one who, who talked a lot about the educational system and he challenged it and it was one of the best talks out there I can't remember his name but I do know the other one that I really really thought was amazing was Brene's Brown one as well about the power of being vulnerable you know there's some of your standard up yeah. there sort of talks but also there was one talk during um the one that I went to and it was by this guy and actually remember he really set the bar high because he was like the first person to talk or something and his story was that he'd been caught up in the Belgian uh, terror attacks and he's a professional basketball player his you know basketball career sort of stopped that day um and all of the things that have sort of he's had to go through on that journey and you know he's now run he's now done like triathlons and all these crazy things um but he you know his legs got very severed and so just hearing some of that was like you know that's that's Mm. quite a story I always find the mindset of athletes some of the most fascinating because the amount of focus and the amount of things that they have to ask in themselves to commit what they do and to push themselves yeah. in the way that they do, I find fascinating. I love hearing athletes talk. 100%. Okay, just a few a few closing questions for you. If you could give some advice to your younger self, what would it be? Slow down. <laughs> uh, <laughs> on the track, um, off the track. <laughs> you know, <laughs> off the track. Um, because I think like when you're in your 20s, like there's like this, I don't know, there's like this aura, you know, in your 20s, you've got to make it. Like the, everybody wants you know, to be really successful at that age. Um, well, not everybody, but, you know, maybe musicians, more creatives. It, you know, everything will happen in the time that it's meant to happen for you. So, like, don't worry because it we're going to be here for hopefully a long time so you'll have all the time in the world to 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 if if an opportunity gets taken away or somebody else gets it then don't worry because your time will still come no matter what happens you just have to keep being consistent that's I think that's the most important thing like being consistent it's not enough having talent you know don't rely on that at all because we're all talented at something but but consistency and perseverance is what's going to really push it through to the next level um I think also um the maybe sometimes fear and I think somebody on my podcast said this really well which is like the regret of inaction will outlive the fear of action um 
Yeah, and it was yeah. like, so the more we get f- fearful of doing something, we'll have much more regrets by not doing it. And I think, like, particularly with music, like, in the beginning, I was so, like, I think it took me, like, six, seven months to, like, record my first mix. Because <laughs> um, I was like, this is going to be my, you know, statement to the world. And, ex- I mean, really? <laughs> you know, no, no one... <laughs> I know, but it feels know, like that. You know, yeah, it does feel like that. And, and but, you know, of course, you just build and build and build and it gets, like, you know, it's it's fine. But yeah, so don't worry. Like it's you just got to do it, and like Nike says, just <laughs> yeah, just do it, just do it. Um, no, I really like both of those, and I think it's really true. It's like the nicest thing I always think is when you get to a place where you're really comfortable with a skill, something that used to really scare you, and then you're like, mm. oh, now this is just kind of second nature. But it takes hours and hours, and it took everyone that it's second nature to hours and hours. So yeah. I used to be afraid that if I wasn't good at something, people who were good would kind of judge me for not being good and now not to say like now I'm really good at things but now some of the stuff that I understand or I'm better at I'm like I would never think badly of anyone for being a starter at this I'd be like let me tell you some of the things that maybe help me improve and then when you get a bit better you can teach me other stuff some of those fears you have are totally not legitimate I think yeah absolutely are you a big reader yes I I do read quite a lot yeah yeah big time do you have any favourite books or books that you recommend to people? Yeah, for sure. So um, there's a book called um, Sea of the Soul, I think, by Gary Zukov. Zukov? I was going to say something like Zukav, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, have you read I it? Have, I haven't read it, but I've heard I've heard it mentioned a few times. Oh, nice. Um, it's a great, great book. It's it's really about. Um, I think I think all of us have our own innate powers, and I think maybe some of us aren't switched on consciously to that, but you know, we all evolve as well. Um, obviously every day, every minute. Um, and his book really goes into our soul and how it, you know, evolves with those powers that are around us. Um, and the, you know, and energy really a lot of energy within it. I'm a huge reader as well of Eckhart Tolle. Love what he says about like a new earth and consciousness and humanity and all of those things. I read some of like those kinds of books, more spiritual sort of books, but then I do read a lot of business books as well. A lot of the books that I'm really geeking out on a lot is, is actually a lot about the how motorsports can impact business. And a lot of my colleagues have actually written some amazing books um, about some of the things that they've observed in their time at Formula One. And particularly this this guy called Mark Gallagher. Um, he's got a great book about business lessons for motorsport, which if you're interested in the topic, it's a great starting point. My dad does a lot of sailing and he loves sailing. And I remember him saying to me that very proudly that sailing was kind of detailed as the sport that required the second most amount of like skill and number one above everything was was motorsport in like a whole different world it's 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 the elite isn't it okay and finally just some uh producers or artists that you're really enjoying right now that people should be checking out so I love a lot of the stuff coming from sort of South Africa, like De Capo. Same. Oh, I'm really? loving oh, the yes. electronic music that's coming from South Africa, particularly at the moment. I'm like, yes. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. It's really, it's really amazing. Um, so yeah, I love a lot of his stuff. I am a huge fan of like Guy J, John Digweed, like, you know, the classic sort of progressive things. And who else? Um, I need to have a quick look because I've been... Oh, check out your Spotify, yeah. 
yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, who are you listening to at the moment? I'm listening to my favourite current project is. Do you know D Jeff? Uh, no, I don't actually. He's got this new uh, project out called Enlightened Path, and he's from Portugal. Yeah. And I would say it's probably like progressive house ish kind of like it's not afro house it's not it's it's just like a global electronic sound i would say and mm. i absolutely love it like all of the tracks sound different but they all very much sound like a project there's songs on there that i think you could listen to on like mainstream radio but there's also songs on there that would make total sense in like ibiza at like four in the morning so yeah i'm loving i'm loving that nice nice i'll definitely have to check that one out some of the other people i'm listening to a lot is actually um this guy called uh seal and he's like a tale of us sort of uh he's on their sort of like afterlife um and i think his stuff is cool because what he's doing is he's taking a lot of that like the indian instruments um mm. and blending that with electronic music which is quite nice um oh nice i'll check that yeah. out that yeah i love that one me. yeah um That's amazing nice <laughs> thank you um Farrah, where can people check you out and also listen to Mission Makers? Where, sh- where should people be looking out for you? Are you on the socials? Yeah, obviously in, uh, on, the, on, the, <laughs> on the digital sphere. Yeah, I mean, SoundCloud, DJ-Ninja, that's like where the music stuff is. We do put the podcast out there any on SoundCloud, but mainly it's iTunes, Spotify, like you know, wherever you listen to your podcast, really. And yeah, and then Instagram, I think it's dj.n1nja, if I'm, yeah, I think that's the one. Uh, <laughs> I should know that, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's all linked on her SoundCloud. It will so all be linked, always, yeah. <laughs> you can always start exactly. there and go from there. Yeah, exactly. Um, thank you so much for chatting to us and sharing your experiences. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for, for having me on the show. And uh, cheers to 2021. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Big year of fun. <laughs> and yeah. thank you very much for listening, everyone. And we will see you next week. Bye. What up, When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.